How you doing this morning? You doing well? Yes? Yes? Good. Let me just get myself sorted. Um, hey, before we get into uh, the message this morning, just a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about. I want to give you an update on what's happening with the subdivision because you've probably driven past here a few times and gone, is it even happening anymore? Um, yes, it is. We've just got some delays. And one of the delays is uh, there's this thing called sediment control that the council makes you put in place to make sure that dirt and everything doesn't go into the stream down the bottom and then block it up further down and flood other people's properties. How many people know that if we, if we um, let sediment go in there and flood it up neighbours' properties, they, would, they wouldn't be... They wouldn't like us very much, would they? So, um, and so we can't take those away until the grass grows. How many people know we haven't had much rain? <laughs> so, you know, so I know you might be loving a long summer, but if you could pray for some rain, that would be really, really cool because that will help the grass grow and then we can get back on track. And then, of course, we've got, we got some delays because there's just, um, this is COVID. And so stuff that should have been here two weeks ago isn't turning up for eight weeks. And so the guys can't, progress any further until that stuff arrives and and then when they got into the stream to do the stream works they found that the the bottom of the stream was way softer than what it should be so now we're waiting for council to come back with instructions of what we should do because what they wanted us to do we can't do now because of how soft the bottom of the stream is so it's it's not a it's not a financial reason it's not anything other than this is called construction so um, I want you to know about that. And then the other thing I want to let you know about is next week we start a new series called Endgame. Woo! Bringing the scary stuff into the light. So we're going to be going through, it's, it's four weeks. We're not going to cover everything in the book of Revelation, but we're going to cover the major things in the book of Revelation. And the reason why I think this is so important for us right now is because there's a bunch of loopy idiots out there on the internet that are telling you all sorts of crazy stuff about the end times, and even now already I've seen stuff going around about Russia and Ukraine, and this is it, this is the big moment. Um, if you can find Russia or Ukraine mentioned in the book of Revelation, I might believe you, but it's not. So, you know, like there's so many wrong things out there. If your theology or your understanding around end times is based on the Left Behind series, can I just say one thing to you in a really, really nice way? It's false doctrine. It's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. So we need to get our heads around this properly, yes? Come on. And one of the, one of the ones that I'm excited about is we're going to be talking about the victorious church because I don't know about you, but you've got all these doomsday people that are like, just got to hang on by the skin of your teeth. We'll get through this. That's not what the book of Revelation talks about. It talks about the church being a victorious church. Not, not one that's hanging in there, holding on by the skin of our teeth, but we're victorious, yeah? Come on, so we've got to get a right perspective so that we understand the right things, and that's going to be exciting. That starts next week. But today, um, we continue, and we're finishing off our series, My Church. Now, we, we can't cover everything in these three weeks about what the church is. I just wanted to pick out three things that I feel need to be an absolute distinctive of the church. And in the first week, we looked at that my church is a passionate church. Passion should be one of the foremost things about the church because God is passionate about us. 
we need to be passionate about him and passionate about the community we're reaching in. And last week we looked at uh, the tale of two trees and we looked at the difference between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if we don't get that right, we end up living a life where we actually hate Christianity and hate the church and hate everything because we get brought into the religious legalism of things. And so the church needs to be a place that's constantly eating and operating out of the tree of life. And, uh, and this morning we're, we're, we're talking about pursuing all that God has. In Matthew 16, 18, it says this, I will build what? And the what? Whoa, that's, oh, I feel blessed right now. I will build my church and what the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. So we understand, we've said this for two weeks in a row now, he says my church is personal to God. He's not saying I'm building a church or the church, but my church is very personal to him. And when we understand how personal it is, it's because he calls the church his bride, the bride of Christ. It's what he's coming back for. And so it's very, very personal to him. And he says that no matter what hell throws at it, it can't overcome the church. Individuals might be able to be overcome at time to time, but the church can't be overcome. And the church is the assembly of believers. We are not the church when we're at home on our own. We're the church when we come together. Come on. God is not coming back for individuals. He's coming back for the church. And so it's really important that we understand what God's looking for. And and I really believe in a world that we're living in right now, which is pretty darn crazy, yeah? Pretty insane at the moment, that the solution right now to the world is the church. It always has been, it always will be. It's always been God's tool to see the world transformed. The church worldwide is the hope of the world. And we need to be a church that pursues God for all he has. Why? Because all that we have is not all that he has. Hear me when I say this this morning, all that we have and all that we function in and all that we operate in is not all that God has. I don't know about you, but I don't think I am living in all that God has for me. Come on. Are you going to talk to me today or are we just, I'm going to have my own conversation. Everything that you've got right now is awesome that God has given you, but it's not all that he has for you. God has so much more. And we need to be a church that goes after God for everything that he has. And I want to encourage you today that we're going to go after everything that God has. Why? Because the things that God has for us is not, I don't believe right now in the time that we're living in, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. I don't think that we, are, we will get through what we're going through in the world today without this. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. I don't want to live a life where I'm operating out of the power and understanding of Craig only. I, I want to I be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just for my sake, but for my family's sake and for your sake and for the church's sake and for our community's sake. We need to be operating out of all that God has for us. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 to 5, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Now, you've got to understand that the Apostle Paul was probably one of the greatest 
theologians that's ever walked the face of the planet. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He knew the scripture inside out. And he's saying here, my message and my preaching were not with all this knowledge and these wise, persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Come on, I, I believe we're living in a time where we can't afford to rest on our knowledge. It needs, our lives need to rest on the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20 puts it this way, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's a living by God's power. Come on, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to live a Christian life that's just a whole lot of talk. I want to live a life that's full of His power. Come on. Come on, if you can't get excited about something this morning, get excited that the fact that God wants to have His power moving and operating in your life. That's why He says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and abides within you. It's not, do it's not a dormant power, it's a powerful power. We can restrict it at times and we can become apathetic in the way that we operate. But I want to tell you that all the power of heaven abides within you if we can just connect with it, if we can just open up our lives and go, actually, God, I'm not happy. With, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want to tell you that you can start to live in a life of God's power. And I want to invite you today to the God that has more for you. And we're going to look at three things that will help you get the wholeness or the more of what God has for you. We're going to look at what is the three baptisms in Scripture. And I want you to understand something before we get into talking about that, is I want you to understand what baptism really is and what it really isn't. The word baptism is the word baptizo, which means to fully immerse in. It means to fully immerse. And so baptism, when we, when we talk about this, it's about fully immersing ourselves in all that God has for us. In each one of these steps, it's about fully immersing ourselves in it. It's not about dipping our toe in, it's about going all in. It's not about having a little bit of this or a little bit of, it's about the whole, fully immersing ourselves into these things that God has for us. And so the first baptism, and some of you are like, man, I didn't know there was three. I knew there was two, but I didn't know there was three. The first baptism is the baptism into the body of Christ, or as we would say, salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, for all were baptized by one spirit into one body. So what the scripture is teaching us here is that when we come to salvation, when we give our lives to Christ, when we accept his forgiveness for our sins and we decide to follow him, when we give our lives to him, we don't just join Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, um, joining Jesus is, is the best part of salvation, but it's not the only part of salvation. We also need the family that we become part of. Yes, we receive his forgiveness. Yes, he, he cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. He moves our sin as far away as the east to the west. But that's not the only part of salvation. He then joins us to a family, his family. And we need each other. And, we, and you've heard me say this before. We confess to him for the forgiveness of our sins. Because it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the beginning of salvation. But then the scriptures also say this, that when we confess our sins to one another and pray for each other, that we're healed. 
And so we need the family, because I don't know about you, but I need healing. And we need the family. And, and what I think is sad to see in the Christian world is that people get saved, they find salvation, but they never fully immerse themselves into salvation. In other words, they never fully immerse themselves into his family. They turn up to church once a month. They don't get involved. They don't get into a connect group. They don't get, they're, they're, they're saved. They've got a toe in, but they're not fully immersed into it. And this is why we have to gather on Sunday, because that's the fully immersing ourselves into the true salvation. And, and if this wasn't true, then there'll be no need for us to gather. If this wasn't true, we wouldn't need to gather. We could just send you an email with a whole lot of information that you can just do at home. You can just be individuals at home, individual Christians. But the thing is, is that God hasn't called us to live individually once we give our lives to Him. He's called us to live in family. Come on, are you with me today? The family of God, the body of Christ. Some of us have never immersed ourselves into the baptism of salvation fully. You're saved, you're going to heaven, but you need to know that God has more than that for you. He has a family for you to be part of. Galatians 3, 26 to 27 says this, You are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You become part of his family. There's so much more. Yes, forgiveness of sins, but you become part of his family, and we need to immerse ourselves fully into that. The second baptism, which is what we're going to see a little later today, is a, a separate experience. It's not one and the same, and they are separate on purpose, and that is water baptism. And water baptism, if you wanted to put it really, really simple, is a public declaration of your faith. This is the next step. You've given your life to Christ, and the next step is to go public with it, to let everybody know that you are now following Jesus Christ. Salvation and water baptism are separate because you don't have to be water baptized to be a Christian. Are you hearing me? Salvation is what brings you into the kingdom, not water baptism. Water baptism is a separate thing. If you put salvation and water baptism together, like some people teach that you're not saved unless you're water baptized, if you put those two things together, it actually violates one of the scriptures. The scripture where Jesus says you are saved by faith, through grace, not of other works. In other words, what he's saying is that if you have to do anything at all that's got a work attached to it, to get salvation, then that's not salvation. I, I, I know this is a little bit different this morning. You see, if we think that we have to do something to earn salvation, then what we're doing is we're just removing all the work that Christ did. What we're saying is that Jesus didn't pay at all, that Jesus wasn't the ultimate sacrifice. I want you to understand something, that Jesus did pay it all. He paid every single bit of it for you. And there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. It is a gift from God that you receive when you ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. And water baptism does not save you. It's just the next step. L let me put it this way. Acts 2, 41, we, we see this. We see the two stages of baptism. 
those who accepted his message, that's the first baptism, salvation, were baptized, second baptism, water baptism. It's the next step, it's a public declaration. And why does it have to be public? Because you can't live a secret squirrel Christianity. It's not like, I, I know some do it, we're, we're Christian on Sunday, and we're anything but Christian Monday through to Friday. Oh, did that get a bit close to the bone today? You know, the secret squirrel Christian, hey, hey man, what'd you do in the weekend? Oh, not much. Secret squirrel Christianity, CIA, undercover. No, God has more for you than that. God has more for you than that. And water baptism is publicly acknowledging that you're a follower of Christ. It doesn't save you. It just declares everyone, I'm committed to my Jesus. And here's the crazy thing about some, some things around the world is some churches say that unless you're water baptized, you're not saved. In fact, even crazier, um, my, my mother-in-law was reading an article just recently, I think out of South America, where some uh, church over there, this, this, this priest has been baptizing people, but they, they found out that he's been saying the wrong words when he does it. So all of them have to be rebaptized because it's the wrong words. There are some people that say that when you baptize, you have to say, we now baptize you in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are others that say, we baptize you in Jesus' name. I want you to know here, so that we don't have any problems, we just say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. We just cover all our bases. <laughs> but there has been church splits over this stuff over what is said, over whether you baptize them forwards, backwards, upside down, inside out. Who cares which way they go? I mean, today we could do all four, if you like, Ethan. We could go forward, backward, upside down. We could do the whole shooting box. It doesn't make a difference because it's not about how you get baptized. It's whether you're making a public direction that you are following Christ and that you get fully immersed in the water. That's what matters. It's not salvation baptism, it's a public declaration. And water baptism is an important step because you're publicly displaying what you inwardly believe. You know, oh, I don't know if that's necessary. Let me put it this way. Why do we have weddings? And why do I wear a wedding ring? Does a wedding ring make me married? No, it's a, it's a public declaration of my lifelong commitment to my beautiful wife, Trinity. Could you imagine what would happen if I said to her, hey, babe, um, love you, want to spend the rest of my life with you, but let's just keep this on the down low. <laughs> we won't have a wedding, not going to wear a ring, let's not let anybody know about it. How many people think that would go well for me? <laughs> Can you imagine her response to me saying, I love you, want to spend the rest of my life with you, but shh, don't tell anyone. When you make a lifelong commitment to the one who saved your soul, you acknowledge it. You let people know about it. That's why we have engagement parties, because we want to let people know we love this one and we're going to marry them. That's why we have weddings, because we're declaring to everybody our love for that person publicly in front of all these people. And water baptism is no different. Matthew 10, 32 to 33 says this. This is Jesus talking. Whoever acknowledges me before men 
I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. This is one of these scriptures we don't like. Because whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. You don't want that. You don't want that. You want him to acknowledge him. And if you've never been water baptized, I want to encourage you to do it. You can even do it today if you want to. We've got t-shirts and everything that you can wear. Like, this is your moment. But there's one baptism that I want to talk to you that is talked about more than any of the others in Scripture. And that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is giving you the ability to live a Spirit-empowered life. You see, salvation is about your eternal existence. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is about your natural earthly existence so that you can live a life that is a Spirit-empowered life. You see, salvation secures your eternity, but baptism of the Holy Spirit helps you live an empowered life here on earth. Why are they separate? Because God didn't want to complicate salvation, and He never wanted you to put a work connected to salvation. But it just shows me, once again, that God just has more for us. Salvation's cool, water baptism's amazing, but there is more for us. In fact, let me show you in a story in the book of Acts how all three are interconnected. It starts in verse 5, it goes to verse 12, and then it jumps on down to 14 and 17 of Acts chapter 8, but it says this, that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there, but when they believed, that's the first baptism, salvation, Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, second baptism of water, both men and women. Then we jump to verse 14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them separate separate thing. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they simply had salvation and water baptism. And Peter and John placed their hands on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a separate experience. It's not necessary for salvation, but it's totally necessary for you to live a spirit-empowered life. In fact, let me show you something that I had not seen in Scripture before until this week. I'm a little embarrassed that I hadn't seen it before, but it's okay. And it's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and verse 8. But we're going to go to verse 7 first, and it says this, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word that is Jesus, because in John 1, 1, it says that, that Jesus was the Word, yeah, in the beginning, the Word is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bear witness in heaven, these three are one. In other words, it bears witness of all that God is. And I've never seen this before, but you go into verse 8 and it says this, and there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. The blood, salvation, 
Water baptism, water. Baptism, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit. And listen to what it says. And all these three agree as one. In other words, what he is saying is this, is for heaven to function the way it is, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all work together as one, and for you to function on earth the way that God designed you to function, you too need salvation, water baptism, and baptism of the Holy Spirit. The three are one. You are incomplete if you're missing one of those, and you wonder why you struggle to live a life or you struggle to overcome things, if you're missing one of those things, that is why. Because those three agree as one to empower you to live the life that God has called you to do. The three agree as one. But the question is this, is does, do they agree with you? The three agree as one, but do they agree with you? In other words, well, I'm, I'm just happy to be saved. I don't need to get water baptized. I don't need to let anybody know publicly that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm just happy. I'm going to heaven. I got my fire insurance. But God is saying that to live your life well, you need all three. And all three have to be in agreement. All three have to come together for you to be able to live this life. You have to say to God, I will have whatever it is that you want to give me. I can remember when I was younger and I came to the stage where my dad was talking to me about baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and when, I, when I grew up in the church, there was, some, there was some weird stuff that happened sometimes when people got filled with the Holy Spirit and, and I'm kind of in my room as a, as a 12-year-old kind of saying to God, I, I, I don't want to do the dog barking thing or running around the church like a crazy person. Anyone's been around church long enough understands what I'm talking about. And so I kind of said to God, I'll tell you what, I will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as long as you don't do anything that embarrasses me, and as long as you behave yourself, we're in. Do you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing happened for me. Why? Because God doesn't function that way. God doesn't operate that way. God is like, you're all in or not at all. You're all in or not at all. Because it has, and, and you have to understand this, if it comes from God, then it has to be good because he's a good God. In fact, I think it's impossible for God to do bad things for you. You might feel like he does bad things at times, but ultimately the Bible says that all things work together for good for those who love God and accord according to his purpose. It may not look like it's good, but it always ends up good. Why? Because he's a good God that knows what's best for you. And if he's got something for you, you don't need to be afraid of it or scared of it. You need to embrace it because it's a good thing for you. God is a good God and all good things come from him. And spirit-filled doesn't have to be spooky and weird. Can I just say this? Because there are some weird Christians out there, right? Can I get agreement on that? You know, you get those people who are like, nobody likes me because I'm a Christian. Yeah, sure, it's because you're a Christian. I've said this before, you know, there are some, some people in the church and they're like the appendix of the church. Nobody knows what they do, but they have the potential to blow up and kill all of us. <laughs> they're weird. The Bible talks about supernatural. Not super weird, super spooky. Ooh, I've got the prophecy hand. Ooh. It's like, you know, if you've got a prophecy hand, go, go take it somewhere else. It's not weird, it's natural. Super 
natural. Jesus wasn't weird. People flocked around him. He wasn't spooky with it. He, t- he says to people things like, hey, walks up to the leper and touches him when no one else would touch him. If you're willing, can you make me clean? I'm willing and touched him. He didn't do some spooky, oh, hold on a sec, let me get into him and come and sutra pose and meditate for half an hour. He just touched him. It wasn't weird. It's supernatural. And so don't be afraid of this. It doesn't have to be spooky to be a spirit-filled life. And I don't know about you, but I love God so much after following Him for so long. I'm still going after all that He has. I'm still not satisfied with how much of God I have. Why? Because what I have is not all of what God is. And I want all of him. I don't want some of him. I don't want a part of him. I'm not ever going to go, well, you know, it, it'll be a little bit like going somewhere and you've got four kids and you're going somewhere and, you, and you, I don't know, maybe you go to Disneyland and there's just flocks of people everywhere. And at the end of the day, you can only find three of your kids. And you go, you know what? Three is better than none. <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that. You would go and find the fourth, yes? Why is it that we go, oh, you know, salvations and water baptism, oh, yeah, it's enough. No, let's go for everything that we've got for God. And let's not just do that, but the Bible says this, that we should desire spiritual gifts. Let's go after all of them too. I want to see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Come on, we've got to go after everything that God has. Otherwise, what was the point of his death on the cross for you and I if we're not going to pursue all that he has for us? And what is the point if we don't pursue all that he has for us? Because we're going to die in work out there that needs all that he has, and the vehicle that he has for that is you and I. We are the jumper leads between heaven and earth, and we have a responsibility to pursue God for all he's had for the people out there, let alone for the people in here. So we're going to be a church that pursues God for all that he has. So the question is, why don't we? Why don't we? First reason I think we don't pursue God for all his hands is some of us are just uninformed. We're, we're not rejecting it. We just didn't know anything about it. We've just not been taught it. Acts 19, 1 to 2 says this, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and he found some disciples, and he asked them, So these are people that are followers of Christ. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They they just didn't know. They weren't informed. They'd never been told. I'm here today to tell you if you've never been told, I'm telling you today. All right? So that was a really easy point. Second point is this. Some people don't do it because some have grown apathetic. You know, the kind of person that just got enough of God, just enough. I've got enough to get into heaven. I don't need anything more. I don't need anything less. I've got my fire insurance. I'm all good. They have become spiritually apathetic. And the word apathetic in the Greek means a lacking of feeling, a lacking of emotion, and a lack of interest. People that have become spiritually apathetic are like, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, that's all I need. They're not interested in anything else. They're not an all-in kind of person. And can I say to you, with all the love in my heart, if that's you today, when times are normal and times are going really well and everything's fine in the world, 
you can get away with spiritual apathy. You can. Because your life is going great. But in the middle of a season like what we're in right now, heaven help you. If you are lukewarm, mediocre, just doing enough, rocking up once a month, making it at Easter and Christmas, got my toe in the things of God, because friend, you're going to need more than that. You know, I have had one of the toughest weeks of my life this week, personally. And I want to acknowledge Pastor Mark Tobias here from Wellington, a very, very good friend of ours, who's come up here because he knows what kind of week I've had, so he's come up to visit me for the weekend. That's what real friendships are about, yeah? But I can tell you, you know, I, don't need, I don't need you, I love that you care for me, but if I was living off your sympathy this week and not off the power of God, I wouldn't have survived. If I'd been living off your sympathy when my dad died four weeks ago, I wouldn't be standing on the stage today. It's the power of God. It's the power of God. And if you're apathetic in your spirituality and you're just kind of cruising along and you're not pushing in, friend, when you go through trials like that, you won't survive. And I've seen that. We've seen this through COVID where people have dropped off in following Christ because they didn't build deep enough. They didn't have the three operating in agreement and they have fallen away. Why? Because when the tough time comes, if you don't have your roots down deep, you will be easily removed. Because you have an enemy out there that wants to destroy you. And I'm here to plead with you today with all of my heart This is not the time to be spiritually apathetic. This is the time to go all in to the things of God. All in for the things of God. Not for fun, but for function. The Holy Spirit has been given to us not for fun, but for function. So that we can operate, so that we can work in a Spirit-empowered life. Romans 12, 11, we shared this in the first week, but I think it's such an important verse that we need to memorize. It says, never be lacking in zeal. Never. Oh, I'm going for a tough time at the moment, and so I think I'm just, I'm just going to give church a skip for a wee while. Never be lacking in zeal. Oh, but you don't understand what I'm going through right now. Never be lacking in zeal. You, you won't find the solution to your problem. You won't find the healing for your hurt away from God. You find it in Him. That's why the righteous run into the tower and are saved. They don't run away from it. The only solution for your life is Him. So never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't ever back off God when you're going through tough times. That's the time to throw yourself further into Him because you need Him then more than you've ever needed Him before. And God has more for you. Don't be spiritually apathetic. And the last thing why some people don't step into this is some have fear. Have genuine fear. They've seen some stuff and they go, man, if I go all in with God, then I'm going to end up like Lucy in Mongolia in the back of the desert somewhere serving Jesus. I'm just joking, Lucy, you're not going to do that. But you know what I mean. They have that fear. If I do that... I've heard those stories about those missionaries and they're like living off like hoo-hoo grubs and 
and cockroaches and oh, I'm not doing that. And they had this fear that, that, and I had that when I was a teenager. I, I can remember going, man, if I go all in for God, he's going to ruin my life. Because <laughs> I was so fearful that he was going to do something that was completely and totally embarrassing for me. Some people are actually scared of God and scared of what it looks like to do the things that God asks you to do. It's scary when you're in Fiji and somebody walks up to you and says, can you pray for me? And they've got a massive cancerous growth like this on their neck. And they're looking at you because you're not from Fiji, you're from New Zealand. And so somehow you have more of God, I don't know. And they're looking at you like, you're my only solution. You're, you're I'm going to live or die on your prayer. That's the pressure that you feel. And then what happens while you're praying for that person that's got the growth like this on their neck, the last thing you want to do is touch it. So you're kind of working out where, and even though you're praying, Father, we thank you that you're the healer. That's what's coming out of your mouth. What's going on in your head is like, oh God, oh God, oh God, help, please, please. (laughs) You are freaking out in your head, but here you're like, you know, put it on the show. You've got your eyes tightly closed because the last thing you want to do is open them and look in case nothing happens. And then you finish praying probably a lot longer than you thought you were because somehow you think the longer I pray and the more words I use, maybe God will move. And you open your eyes, the man shakes your hand and you realize the growth is gone. I want to tell you right there in that moment, That's not scary, that's awesome. That's awesome. When someone walks up to you and they can't see and you pray for them and then all of a sudden they're reading their Bible, that's awesome. Is it scary praying for that person? Is it scary stepping out? Hell yes. But nothing worth doing was ever easy. It was scary but awesome. And that's the the life that God's calling us to. He's not trying to embarrass us. He's trying to get you to have moments where you're like, that's awesome. And I can tell you, after I prayed for that guy and, and, and the growth disappeared, it was like, bring it on. Where's the, where's the crippled person? Where's the, bring me dead people. I'm ready for this. It's an empowerment that comes from God. You don't have to be scared about what he wants to do with your life. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. God won't produce anything bad in your life, but only good. You don't have to be scared. Then that's why we can go all in with him and we don't have to hold back. And I want to challenge you, put this message to the test. Decide 2022 is going to be a year that I go all in. I'm going to be at church every week. I'm going to get a small group. I'm going to serve in a team. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to turn up to the prayer and fasting. I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to, I challenge you, give it 12 months of your life and see what God does. Because I'm telling you, He will dramatically change your life for good. And this will be the best year of your life It's the best if it's the best year of your life spiritually. Ezekiel 47, as we finish, I'll just get Madison to come and jump on the keys. Ezekiel 47 is a story. And I think it's a story about you and I and what we need to do. It says this, that as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, in other words, he's measuring out how far. 
He measured off a thousand cubits and then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. In other words, he measured it out and he goes, okay, that's the point. And he walked in there and he was ankle deep in this river. Some of us, that's where we are. We're saved and it was just like, yep, we're, we're happy here in the ankle deep place. We're happy here. He measured off another thousand cubits and he led me through the water that was knee deep. Oh, knee deep. Anybody that's been in cold water knows what the next stage is once you get up to your waist, right? Especially those poor fellas. It's okay, you can have a laugh in church. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand and by now it was a river that I could not cross. In other words, he was no longer in control. The river was in control of him because the water had risen that was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. You see, you'll never get the best of God while you're in control. You'll never get all of him while you have control. You get all of him when you let go of control. And in verse 9, it says here that there, there will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Listen to this. I want you to understand this last piece. It says, so wherever the river flows, everything will live. In other words, wherever this river flows, everything works. Everything does what it's meant to do. Everything functions correctly. Everything does what it's meant to do. And when the Holy Spirit is flowing in your life, no matter what is going on around you, no matter what people are saying to you, no matter what we're seeing, no matter what has been said, no matter what our government does, life works when you're in the river of the Holy Ghost. Everything does what it should do. Everything lives correctly. Everything has its things in place. Everything's safe and secure. Everything works but it doesn't work when we're ankle deep. It doesn't work when we're knee deep. It doesn't work when you're waist deep. It only works when we let go of control and we fully go into the river and we allow it to flow us wherever God wants us to go and where the river flows, everything works. Everything works. Everything works. Everything lives. All that you have is not all that God has. Let's be a church that pursues God for everything he has. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied until we see everything that God has for us. I'm not satisfied until we see the sick healed and the poor come out of poverty and the emotionally broken healed because that's what he is. He is healer. He is provider. It's, it's not something he does. It's who he is. He doesn't do love, He is love. He doesn't do saving, He is Savior. He doesn't do healing, He is healer. Come on, He doesn't do providing, He is provider. He's all that He has, is all that we should want. We can't afford to not pursue Him for everything that He has. Because not only do you need it, not only does your family need it, not only does this church need it, but I'll tell you what, our world needs it. Our world needs it. As Paul says, I didn't come with you with fancy words, but a demonstration of the power of God. That's what our world needs. That's what our world needs. And we can't afford to stop at one or two 
we're going to go all in. Let the three work in agreement so we live a a spirit-empowered life. Amen? Amen.